If we can be the people that solve the housing crisis, that is a fantastic way of building support for the conservative ideas that we want to see spread throughout society. Hello everyone, welcome to the Steve Hilton Show. It's Friday, November the 17th. It is the end of the week where we had the world leaders in town here, where I am in the Bay Area in San Francisco. You had President Xi and all the rest of it, President Biden. In fact, when I came back, you may have seen when I was in New York this week, I was doing some stuff there for Fox. When I landed in San Francisco airport, I looked out the window, there was Air Force One. How thrilling. Biden is in town. Why was it thrilling? Because Finally, they cleaned up San Francisco. I mean, this is just such an insult, isn't it, to every single person uh, who lives in San Francisco and across California, actually, because for years now, we've been told, oh, these problems are difficult. We can't get the homeless people off the streets, can't clean up these open air drug markets. It's so difficult. They all blame each other um, in San Francisco, which is in many ways the epicenter of all of this. You've got the um, mayor, London Breach, as well. I really would love to clean it up. And, you know, about a year ago, she was out there ranting publicly again we're going to clean i can't just cursing in these speeches about how we got to do something about it but she can't she says because of the board of supervisors and the board of supervisors makes it incredibly complicated so i can't do that and then the board of supervisors said well we'd love to do it but you've got all these laws and there's the federal law and then there's the boise ruling we've talked about this before which is a, a court of the, the, the ninth circuit telling us that we can't move on and on right blame shifting saying we can't do anything about it. And then here we have a communist dictator coming to town and they're so embarrassed because, by the way, just before he even got here, President Xi, Chinese media was putting out stories in China about what an absolute hellhole uh, San Francisco was. So they're embarrassed about it and they say, we're well, going to clean it up. And then miraculously, they're able to do it practically overnight. So what do we say about this? There's a number of things to say. For, and, and many of them have been said by other people. There's a few things that I've got, which is a slightly different perspective. First of all, what an insult to the taxpayers who live there, that, that you, you won't clean up the city for the people who live there and pay for you and pay the taxes, but you will clean it up for a, a communist dictator. That is just an unbelievable insult that people won't forget. Secondly, you know, and this is a bit of a joke, and maybe we can share it with our friend Jen Horn, who's coming up later in the show, who's down in Los Angeles. Um, a lot of people are saying, well, you know what? Maybe we, could President Xi please visit L.A. And maybe they'd clean up L.A. then or San Diego and all the other cities are a total mess in California as a result of these hard left policies that just leave absolutely no space for regular people to have the quality of life that they want. Why can we maybe have Xi go around everywhere? And then maybe everywhere will be cleaned up. Um, but the thing that's really you know, serious about it, and um, there's a couple of things I want to draw your attention to. First of all, th this is the superficial part. Right. So they can clean up overnight, practically, um, and, and make it look nice for the visiting dignitaries to try and sort of stop them writing stories about the doom loop of San Francisco and the absolute disaster of the policies, what they've created there. But first of all, is that going to last? Right. What's going to happen when the people leave town? What's going to happen then? The actual underlying causes of the chaos and the crime and the disorder are still going to be there. They haven't been able to clean up the fact that you have a state law now saying that you can steal up to $950 worth of stuff every single day, right? Yeah, that's not going to be clean. They can't clean that up just for a conference or the ridiculous law that was passed in 2016 by the state legislature, uh, which says that you cannot require people who are who, anyone who's in, um, 
in a homeless program, homelessness program, any kind of homeless program run by the state of California or funded by the state of California cannot require the people participating to be sober, to get them off drugs. And since being addicted to drugs is like a huge part of the homelessness issue, you have a state law that actually stops you dealing with the problem. So that they can't clean up overnight either. Um, the fact that we don't have enough mental health beds and we don't have the capacity to treat people who've been on the streets. The fact that we don't have enough housing. The fact that if you're on the lower income tiers, it's actually almost impossible to get affordable housing. And, and often that is one of the reasons people are tipped into homelessness in the first place. So on and on it goes. All these underlying reasons why we have the filth and squalor on the streets of San Francisco that they are clearly so embarrassed about that they clean it up overnight for a foreign dictator, but they're not embarrassed enough about it to actually deal with the underlying causes and reverse these hard left policies that have caused the chaos and the crime and the squalor. What an absolute indictment of what they've done over the last, what, 15 years or so where they've had monopoly rule. And the second thing that other people haven't talked about as much, and in a way, this, this, this is a broader point, it's not just California, but it was, it was something that really shocked me, actually. Um, I don't know if you saw the video of when she's motorcade arrived in San Francisco. It was just, it was so creepy and chilling actually, because you thought, where are we? Are we actually in San Francisco or downtown Beijing? Watch this video. That is not Beijing. That is San Francisco. Uh, the patriotic music and the flag waving and all the rest of it. And so they, they wanted you to think the Chinese regime, the communist regime wanted people to think, especially back home, but also here, that this was some kind of spontaneous crowd that showed up to welcome the dear leader, President Xi. But actually CNN reported, good for them for, for, for ferreting this out. It was nothing spontaneous about it. Those people out there on the streets, waving those big flags and playing that music. They were students bust in from nearby universities, Chinese students bust in from nearby universities to put on this display. This is a totally fake adulation for Xi Jinping. And so, of course, you know, that's what they do. That's what communist regimes do. I'm very familiar. My, you know, my family's from Hungary, as you know. I mean, this is what they do. But what is really disturbing about this is the fact that yet again, we see that we've got this massive problem with our universities. So, I mean, as we've been discussing in the last few weeks, we've got this appalling um, hate and anti-Semitism, where the universities are the absolute epicenter of it. So first you have that, the anti-Semitism and the hate. Um, and now we have them, you know, harboring all these, you know, Chinese Communist Party stooges that just sort of happily trot out and play the, you know, patriotic music and wave the flags for Xi Jinping. And by the way, the reason they did that was to drown out protesters, because what you actually the, the, what was spontaneous, what really happened organically on the streets of San Francisco were people protesting Xi Jinping for his human rights abuses and the genocide and all the other things that he should be confronted with. And the fentanyl that's killing people here in our country coming from China, on and on it goes. There were actual protesters on those streets. The Chinese communist regime didn't want that on TV. So they bus in students from American universities to wave the flags that are bigger than the protest banners and to play music so they can't hear the protest chants. I mean, it's absolutely sickening that that's, that's how it worked. These weren't employees 
of the local kind of, you know, whatever it's called, consulate in San Francisco. These were students on American universities bust in to do propaganda for the communist regime of China. I mean, yet again, we see very, very clearly, as I put it, if you follow me on X at Steve Hilton X, we can see very clearly now that here in America, our universities, they are our weakest link. So in our policy uh, conversation today, I just want to focus on something that really isn't focused on enough. Um, and it's something that I'm certainly focusing on. If, you, if you've been following the work that I've been doing here in California with Golden Together and our ballot initiative, you know that this is a priority for me. That is housing and home ownership. Um, of course, that's an issue that, that you know, uh, people can, once you start explaining it, people can can relate to it and understand why it's important and so on. But Republicans don't talk about it enough. And I just saw two things in the recent past, in the last couple of weeks, that really brought it home to me. And I thought there, and there were two clips from people that I, that I admire in, in so many different ways who address this issue and, and set it up in a way that I think is really, really interesting. Um, and so I want to play you the clips and then talk about it on the other side. So the first one is from Constantin Kissin, who hosts a, a, a very successful podcast in the UK called Trigonometry, trigger as in trigger warning, trigonometry. He had a speech at the Oxford Union a few months ago, maybe even a year ago, I can't remember exactly when it was, where he talked about the sort of climate nihilism that you see from, from the extremists on the, on the climate argument. And that went viral. It's in the Oxford Union. It's a great speech. He did another one the other week that also had a really, really big impact. I saw a lot of people sharing it. Um, and it was pretty wide ranging. But this is the part that I wanted to play for you because I just think it's his, his, the way he sets up this point, I think, is really important for anyone on the right, Republicans, conservatives, whatever you want, however you want to describe it, to really um, understand what he's saying here. And then after that, I want to play you a clip from uh, Vivek Ramaswamy at the last Republican presidential debate, where he also talked about this in a in a really fresh way. Um, and I think the two of them um, really uh, kind of explain why this is an important policy issue that we need to engage with much more. So let's hear from Constantin and then Vivek. I can tell you conservatives something. You will never get young people to want to conserve a society and an economy that is not working for them. We will not overcome woke nihilism as long as young people are locked out of the housing market, unable to pair up, unable to have kids, unable to plan for the future. Right. And as a CEO, the economic question is core to my vision and policy prescription for this country. Increase the supply of everything. It's the law of supplies and demand. Increase the supply of energy. That brings down the cost of energy, grows the economy. Drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear. Increase the supply of labor in this country. Stop using our taxpayer money to pay people more to stay at home instead of to go to work. Increase the supply of housing. People don't talk about this one in the Republican Party. The land use restrictions are constricting the supply of housing. That's making housing more expensive for ordinary Americans across this country. So I love the way Constantin set, set that up, right? He's, he's rightly focusing on the fact you got to, and, and you know, I hear people talk about this all the time in the in the kind of cultural conversation, and people say, "Well, what's going on?" And we've got this kind of generation of of people, and they're so left wing, and they're so extreme, and they're nihilistic, and and they're talking about not having kids because they don't want to hurt the planet, and you know, it's just all so depressing, and and what's happening to the next generation, and and, and so on and so forth, you know, complaining about that. But actually, the way he puts it is 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 so true, which is. 
well, hang on a second. If you want to persuade people to buy into the kind of values, um, and here in America, let's think about that in terms of you know the, the sort of basic components of what we might think of as the American dream. Um, you know, living living a good life, working hard, uh, being a member of your community, um, raising a family. You know, doing all those things. I think a lot of people are, are very worried that that is falling apart, and they use language like the collapse of civilization to talk about it. But the way he puts it there is actually very important for us to be aware of. It's like, what, hang on a second, if you've got a generation that feels completely excluded from the way that the world um, works, that they can't actually ever imagine the prospect of buying a house, and it's just incredibly expensive to contemplate raising a family, then why would you do that? And that's the situation we're in right now. If you're if you're someone you know starting out in life here in California and increasingly across the country, but we're the worst in California. We we have the highest housing costs in America, and so if you're if you're here and you're you know starting out embarking on life and you may you know your first job or you, and here's your career you have in mind or you know you may be starting a business whatever and you just think it's completely the the, the concept of of being able to buy a home. And remember for a lot of people, that's the point where you think, yeah, I'm going to start a family and raise a family because you've got that kind of, you know, um, that sense of security, which is necessary for embarking on that most important of journeys, raising a family. You want to get a home. You want to, you want to, if, if you're going to bring children into the world, you want to give them a secure foundation. That's of course true and right. But if you can't ever think about owning your own home, that is total insecurity. And so you've got this precarious life that people are experiencing and, and, and in, in, because of the economic policies that have been pursued. And housing is one of the most fundamental because you can't afford to own your own home. You're paying rent forever. It's going nowhere. And the rents themselves are so incredibly high. You know, that, that really will affect your worldview. And so I think it's such an important way of explaining why we need to address this housing policy issue. And then Vivek, I think, um, took us towards the solution. Um, very positively there, where he he put it in this framework, which I completely agree with, which is this kind of positive, dynamic, energetic, we have to increase the supply of things. That's exactly right. Right. And, and it's the exact opposite of a lot, a lot of the ideology that you see coming um, mainly from the left these, these days. And again, particularly here in California, because California is the epicenter of so much that's going wrong um, and the source of so much that's going wrong. There's this worldview and we've talked about this before with some of our guests, of scarcity, a scarcity mindset. You can't have this. You can't have that. Got to stop using energy. Stop driving a car. You know, there's not enough. You know, we're, we're sort of destroying the world. This concept of people is actually being pollution. And we have to, you just can't do anything. We've got, we got to shut things down and restrict and constrict. There's not enough water. There's not enough energy. We can't do anything, right? That mentality of scarcity is just really negative. And what you saw there from Vivek is the exact opposite, a mentality of abundance. And abundance is a word that actually I'm seeing more and more in use. And it's interesting, it's kind of an old fashioned word, not a very, you know, um, people don't use it in everyday conversation, but I'm seeing it all over the place now where people say we, we need to have abundance and we should have abundance. And especially here in America, we can have abundance. We're the most amazing place in the world. We have so much 
much potential. We have space. We have in, ter in terms of our physical space, you know, it, um, hardly any of our land is developed. Exactly as Vivek said, I mean, here in California, it's about five to six percent total of our total land is, is developed for anything. If you add up everything, you know, buildings and roads and you name it, it comes to roughly five percent of our of our of our um land use if you just increased it by one percent to six percent that would that would be enough for 10 million homes one of the people i work with on this policy area has calculated that which is a huge more than we even need right so it's just a really really important reminder of, of why this housing issue is incredibly important and the answer to it is to build more housing and the reason we don't build more housing um, is set out in the ballot initiative that uh, that we've launched from Golden Together, the California Home Ownership Affordability Act. I won't go into all the details now. We've talked about it before. You can check it out. Um, we'll be we'll be having a lot to say about it in the weeks and months ahead as we try and qualify it for the ballot. But the the short answer is we've got the abuse of our environmental laws, and we've got massive taxes put on building houses from local government and state agencies. And those two things together. Um, People are, these lawsuits are being filed to block housing, um, falsely using environmental claims, abusing environmental laws to block housing. That's a huge part of it. And these massive exploitative taxes that are hidden from the public, they are taxes that are charged on the people who build houses. So, of course, the houses that get built are going to be really expensive. So we've got to change all of that. We've got to change all of that here in California. We've got to change it across the country. And so this issue of housing, Right. Republicans should really understand exactly as Vivek laid out, exactly as we're saying here in California. It is a massive opportunity. If we can be the people that solve the housing crisis, that is a fantastic way of building support for the ideas, uh, the conservative ideas that we want to see spread throughout society. All right, California corner today. Our friend Jen Horn is with us with two um, amazing stories, one of which I'm sure you will have heard about wherever you are in the country, because it is one of those stories that's symptomatic of <laughs> the collapse of California under the uh, one party rule of these hard left Democrats. Uh, it's the collapse of a free, not quite the collapse of a freeway, but the closing of a freeway um, in case it collapses. Um, and then the other story I'm sure you haven't heard of, because I hadn't heard of it until Jen brought it to my attention. It's also so um emblematic of everything that's going wrong uh, with 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 the hard left these days. It's about what's going on in our schools and a new item on the California curriculum next year. Wait until you hear what it is. Anyway, let's start with the traffic in L.A. I mean, what else? What else do you talk about? You're in L.A., Chen. How's how's it all going? Are you stranded? This is the 10 freeways. Set up the story for us and then we'll get into it. Well, you know, first of all, uh, I grew up in the 80s and I remember the song, No One Walks in L.A. So uh, obviously we need the freeways, right? We need to be able to drive. And uh, this story, unbelievable. So uh, um, uh, over, well, as we do this podcast a week ago, uh, the 10 freeway, there was a fire and it was a big fire, knocked it, it like the underneath the freeway goes up over the freeway. Cars are actually stopped. People are jumping out of their cars, literally running for their lives. And it wow. turns out, lo and, lo and behold, it was pretty scary times. They finally got the the um, the fire out. But of course, what you've got left now is a lot of damage because this was a really, really, really hot fire. So you've got investigators coming in. You've got Gavin Newsom, who had to uh, stop vacuuming San Francisco for the Chinese communist <laughs> dictator to come to town. And he had to come to LA and split his 
time. I mean, what's a what's a soon to be presidential candidate to do? And so he, alongside L.A. Mayor Karen Bass, the two of them step up to the podium and start talking about what went wrong. And of course, quickly, early on in the investigation, Steve, we found out that they thought this was arson. Now, your version of arson, my version of arson, probably a lot different than their version of arson, because <laughs> we also learned that the state rented out leased property to what is essentially a junkyard. It was a pallet yard, lots of old cars, mm -hmm. like my grandpa used to say old jalopies <laughs> lying around. Then you also have a slew of homeless people underneath the freeway making it their home, like we see in every single Of course, single because freeway. you go around LA, that's where, that's what you see all the time, everywhere, under the freeways. Right. So when you think about what happened to the 10 freeway, you realize that Gavin Newsom and Karen Bass and really many of our elected officials in the state of California have their fingerprints all over it. And who is going to suffer once again? The taxpayer who's now going to have to pay for expedited repairs three to five weeks to get this freeway back operational again when they know what needs to happen. They need to get people out from underneath the freeways. They need to get them into beds. Clearly, they've proved they can do it with Gavin Newsom moving the homeless out in like two days in San Francisco, it can be done and it can be done quickly, but everybody's making money off of the homeless problem. And by the way, what genius is renting out land underneath the freeway to, ple to people to park old cars? I mean, I'm no like science expert here, but that just doesn't seem like a great idea. It's amazing. So they, th they think it's, it's, it's exactly right. And we, you know, like, as we said earlier, it, I, I did a piece earlier about the, you know, the ridiculous sort of overnight cleanup of San Francisco. You know, if only we'd had President Xi visit LA, right. may maybe this would never have happened. They'd have cleaned up the free. But there's a serious point here, which is that actually this less visible parts of the, of the homelessness crisis reflects what they've been doing as well in LA. So actually in LA, as I understand it, Karen Bass, you know, she's been, you know, working really hard to clean up the visible parts of homelessness, right? Mm. So the places where you drive by frequently and, and the parks and so on, but they're just, they're not solving the problem. They're moving it. They're relocating it to places which yeah. are less visible like this under the freeway section. And I remember the other, the other week when I was actually trying to beat the traffic, I was coming back from from uh, as along the 10 actually the 10 was completely and this leads me to what where I want to end this uh this this particular section with a with a little you know comment about how people in uh, driving around LA obsess about the freeways I was coming and, and the traffic routes <laughs> but I was coming back um from a meeting the 10 was bought and I was going like uh, by the side I was taking the side streets and you end up in the, I've, it was so unbelievably dystopian even i and i've been around a lot in la and san francisco and so on the scenes this is it's not quite it's it's, it's like before you even get to skid row which is very famous it was just like out of a, a, a movie of dystopia it's i mean disgusting. just the trash in uh, huge piles along the streets there's it's a sort of industrialized part of la there are lots of warehouses it's along the train tracks it's completely out of sight from most people who would be going there and i was driving around and it was, I mean, I couldn't believe the squalor. I mean, and, and the sort of twilight zones, the feel of it and the people wandering around sort of off, yeah. obviously on drugs and the, and the trash everywhere. It was just unbelievable. You know, just to that point, and just to throw in something else, a couple of things that have happened in that, in that realm. The zombie people, you know, this is not just about cleaning up the streets because we want the streets cleaned up or sensible people want the streets cleaned up. How, uh, how empathetic uh, are the people that are running Los Angeles exactly. to allow people to suffer in that state? I mean, it's to it's not like good this. for anybody. Yes. 
Right. A, a couple of other just small little stories here about this. Karen Bass, because people rely on their vehicles so much in California, Karen Bass is trying to get people not to drive through this area of LA. And this is a huge connector. It's the 10, it's the five, it's the 60, it's the 101. They all come together. It's creating a huge problem that the freeway shut down. So she's telling people to use mass transit. Well, that's great, except anybody with a brain won't get on the trains anymore because you've got 5,500 people living on them. You have people who die on there and don't get discovered for six hours. Who in their right mind would want to take the train to get to work? So guess what they've decided to do now? Bring back the police officers, of course, the sheriff's department, all the officers who were kicked off the trains to bring in the guys wearing the goofy, you know, neon yellow vests that sit there on their cell phones all day, just watching the drug deals happen. Those poor people, they're gone. And now the cops are back again because they realize they have to make people feel safe if they're trying to convince them to use the train. And to add a little cherry on top of that, Karen Bass took the train herself from work and was talking about how she went to work using the train. And it was so great. She didn't have to sit in traffic. Um, she's a security detail, Steve. <laughs> like, if we had security <laughs> details, of course we could all take the train. But uh, Care Bear should ride the train herself and maybe use her security detail to secure it's the amazing. train for the rest of us. It's bizarre. And I don't know if you heard the other story. This poor kid, 20 years old, who's stuck on the freeway in the fire, runs for his life out of his vehicle to get away because there was smoke and explosions. It was really scary. He takes off running. He reunites with his family, 20 years old. They can't find his car. Well, the CHP moves the car. They finally located it five days later, and they had to pay $1,000 to get the car back. <laughs> <laughs> because they considered it to be an abandoned vehicle. I thought to myself, if they only cleaned up the abandoned vehicles on regular streets in Los Angeles and charged those people, it, we've just got it so backward around here. It's so bad. I know it reminds me of what, you know, what I think I may have shared this story with you before. I was in LA one time um, with, with, you know, for our family. Um, and I wanted to, uh, with, with our two boys, and I said, let's try and do it with public. They keep, everyone keeps saying you can do it on public train. You don't, you know, they, all these ads, you know, take the bus, take the subway, what it take transit, um, don't drive. Okay, fine. I'll try it out. So we had a whole day. I said, let's do today. And we were, you know, we were like tourists. We had, we went to that place in downtown where you can go up the tower and do a slide around the edge of the town. And um, yeah. then we went to, you know, the, the Brea, Brea Tar Pits and we were going around. Um, seeing things and said, let's do it all on, on public transportation. And like the very first leg, like we got off, got on the, on the, what is it called? The Metro. Uh, it was Western Avenue and something. So, and it was so unbelievable. Like we just, the, the first thing you see is like crazy people wandering around. You get on the subway. This is the middle of the day, like 10 a.m. or something. It's not the middle of the day, morning, 10 a.m. And like, there's no one on the train normal apart from us. No. It's all no. homeless. It's just so terrifyingly dystopian. It was amazing. Tell me you traveled with shoes on that voyage. <laughs> exactly. It was just terrible. Because <laughs> you can't ride the train without your shoes on. You can't go Kennedy no, 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 style. No. That's for sure. <laughs> no, exactly right. Um, so I just want to end this bit because I want to get you know, we, the, the other story you've got, which is so unbelievable. This is... Um, just a little light relief, really. Uh, it was a New York Times piece about the closure of the 10 through, because of this fire. And, and here's a quote from it. It's the New York Times sort of explaining a little bit of this culture to the country. 
quote, in Southern California's car-centered culture, traffic is a subject of complaint that never gets old, an incessant source of misery. There is a reason residents are always mentioning the routes they drive, blathering on about taking the 10 to the 110 to the 5 to the point of ridicule. It's because driving directions are a way of life here, and traffic along the way is the great equalizer antagonizing all. I thought that just was when so you good. get a little too big for your britches, just get on the rows and you'll know you'll be taken exactly. down. You'll be humble in about 10 seconds. It is funny. And we always exactly. say the five, the 10, good. we get made fun of that from East Coasters. <laughs> All right. So quickly, let's do the other story. This is, I didn't know about this. I just can't, I always say, I can't believe it, but of course you can believe it because these people are so extreme. But what's this story? It's about what's, what's going into the curriculum. All right. So uh, Gavin Newsom just signed into law very quietly some new framework of curriculum that's going to go into every public school in the state of California starting in January. So this is coming up. And what it entails, it's from an assembly bill, which, by the way, had unanimous support. So, you know, the four Republicans that are in the assembly voted for this, too, for curriculum to be interwoven into every course. So we're talking about social studies, science, math, arts, you name it. They're all going to have to have a misinformation and fake news component to these classes. What? So every class in California is now going to have to spend time identifying misinformation. Now, the proponents for this said that this was all about making sure people didn't poo-poo climate change. Of course, you know, that's always got to be at the center of this. But they're going to also allegedly, teach critical thinking about what they find on the internet. Now, applauding California public schools for finally teaching critical thinking, because that seems to be something we should have already been doing, but okay, I guess better late than never. But who are going to be the determiners of truth? Because uh, unfortunately, the far, far left that runs California has done a whole lot of bending when it comes to the truth. And I'm pretty sure that their course material probably won't match mine. Like I can see maybe the... um Biden crime family calculations in math class. You think that'll be there? Maybe unpacking the Russian dossier yes. and social Hunter gets studies five or... million from China. He right. gives 10% <laughs> to the big guy. <laughs> you know what's left for whatever. Exactly. That's our math that'll problem. The... Yeah. Maybe in science, we could do COVID and the wet market or masks really work. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe their idea of truth and misinformation might be different once again than yeah. ours, Steve. <laughs> It's unbelievable. But everyone needs to pay attention because this is what's coming your way. It starts in yeah. California. It infects the rest of the country. So now they're teaching misinformation. I mean, it's just, it's too much. The teachers union oh, will fantastic. determine what's a misinformation. <laughs> um, well, thank you for drawing our attention to the, la the latest madness that we cover here. Uh, great to see you, Jen. Thank you so much. We'll see you, you soon. You too. Thanks. So here's something I just want to get off my chest uh, before we go today, which is the absolutely appalling coverage of the war on Israel launched by Iran Hamas on the BBC. The BBC stands for the British Broadcasting Corporation, and it is, it is the state broadcaster in the UK, much more so. I know people call the NPR the state broadcaster, and it's true that NPR gets public funding and so on. But it is also true that NPR gets donations from local people and, and, and other sources of funding. The BBC is 100% funded publicly. Okay. There's a tax. It's called the license fee. It's a, it's a sort of euphemism for a tax. You, you can't watch television. You can't have a television without paying for a license in the UK. That's how it works, right? It's called the license fee. 
and it's illegal to have to have a television if you don't pay for the BBC through this license fee. It is the public broadcaster. And their coverage of this war has been an absolute disgrace. It's basically Hamas propaganda from start to finish. I mean, it really, really is. And the reason this is in the news is because this week they issued this apology. And now uh, an apology from the BBC. A BBC News, uh, as it covered uh, initial reports that Israeli forces has entered Gaza's main hospital. We said that medical teams and Arab speakers were being targeted. This was incorrect and misquoted a Reuters report. We should have said IDF forces included medical teams and Arabic speakers for this operation. So we apologise for this error, which fell below our usual editorial standards. The correct version of events was broadcast minutes later. I mean, that is just unbelievable. It's a total distortion. It's, it's not just sort of slightly wrong. Like they were accusing Israel of targeting doctors. But this is in line with, with, with everything that they're doing. As I pointed out on, on, on X, that's Steve Hilton X. <laughs> they, they, their apology says, we're sorry for the depart, whatever, we're sorry for the departure from our you know, normal ed editorial standards. No, this is your editorial standard. Hamas propaganda is the BBC's editorial standard, as far as I can see. And by the way, I see it a lot more than usual, um, because right now we have a family member staying with us from England, and they are you know, keen to, keen to watch the news, and they're around the house, and and put the BBC news on. So we hear it the whole time. It is just absolutely staggering when you, when you, you know, when you listen to how they frame this conflict. It's, it's just unbelievable, the bias. And so when people say, how can it be the case that you have these demonstrations on the streets of, of London and so on? And, and how is it possible that people are going around, you know, ripping off um, the posters of the of the kidnapped people and 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 taking this pro Hamas line, given all that we know, how can that be happening? Well, a big part of it, not the only part, because there's obviously ideology driving this as well, but a really big part of it is the absolute disgraceful propaganda that is being broadcast on outlets like the BBC. It is an absolute disgrace. Um, thank goodness that here in America we have other outlets that are telling the truth about this absolutely appalling war on Israel, the genocide that's being committed by Hamas, clearly saying what it is. By the way, the, the last point I'd make, I mean, people, you know, criticize CNN all the time. CNN, you, you, you watch CNN, they are absolutely clear. They talk about Hamas, they say the word terrorist. The BBC, I'm not kidding, won't you, their, their guideline says they won't use the word terrorist to describe Hamas. It's in their policy not to use the word terrorist. I mean, this is a complete joke and it's funded through a forced levy, basically a tax from the British people. It's just astonishing to me that, that it's still going on.